Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, sponsored by EarthX, the world's largest environmental experience, and also sponsored by Natural Awakenings Magazine. Live your healthiest life on a healthier planet. Now here's your host, Bernice Butler. Welcome to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today. We are now in our fifth season, and we remain just as excited as ever to help you explore and understand that unbreakable relationship between your health and the health of the planet. Here we look at the hottest topics related to our environment and its sustainability and how they affect your health and wellness. Here are issues like climate change, plastic pollution, extreme weather events, and others will meet up with everyday impacts like cancer, lung issues, allergies, asthma, and more. So listen in today as we interview experts for today's show in our December series on waste and waste management. And today we're going to focus in on hazardous and chemical and toxic waste health and environmental impacts, as well as opportunities. So let me ask you, have you ever wondered what happens to the products and materials that you throw away or that you use every day? Do you know how they affect your health and the environment? Well, today we're going to explore and unpack the topic of hazardous chemical and toxic waste and try to explain why it matters to you and to our planet. So what is hazardous chemical and toxic waste? Well, these are any waste that have properties that make it dangerous or capable of having a harmful effect on human health or the environment. It can come from many sources, such as industrial manufacturing processes, household products, agricultural activities, medical facilities, mining operations, and military sites, and some others. It can also be in many forms, such as liquids, solids, gases, or, or sludges. And some examples of hazardous chemical and toxic waste are paints, solvents, pesticides, batteries. Some of our cleaning products can contain chemicals that can cause cancer, birth defects, or other diseases and issues. Heavy metals such as mercury, lead, cadmium, and arsenic can accumulate in the body and damage the nervous system, the kidneys, the livers, or even the brain. Then you have radioactive materials such as uranium, plutonium, and radium that can emit harmful radiation that can cause mutations, cancers, genetic disorders, and probably a bunch of stuff that we don't even know about yet. And then there's infectious wastes such as needles and syringes, bandages, and body fluids that can carry viruses, bacteria, or parasites that can cause other infections or diseases. So how does hazardous chemical and toxic waste affect our health in the environment? Well, hazardous chemical and toxic waste can harm us and the environment in a number of ways, such as contaminating the soil or contaminating the water and the air that we depend on for food, drinking, and breathing. For example, hazardous waste can leak from landfills. It can spill from trucks or seep from underground storage tanks and pollute the groundwater. It can pollute our rivers, our lakes, or our oceans. It can also just evaporate into the air and form smog, acid rain, or greenhouse gases. Exposing us to hazardous substances through perhaps direct contact or ingestion or inhalation or perhaps being absorbed through the skin. For example, we can touch, swallow, breathe, or absorb hazardous waste when we work with it, when we live near it, 
or when we use products that contain it. And this can cause acute or chronic effects such as skin irritation, nausea, headaches, asthma, allergies, or perhaps even organ damage. Also, it can result in disrupting the natural balance and diversity of our ecosystems that support life. For example, hazardous waste can kill or harm plants, animals, and microorganisms that themselves play important roles in our food chain, in the nutrient cycle, or even in climate regulation. It can also reduce the genetic variation and resilience of some of the various species of plant and animals that are essential for the evolution and adaptation of our life as we know it. So what can we do to prevent and reduce hazardous chemical and toxic waste effects? Well, these waste, uh, the hazardous chemical and toxic waste is a serious threat to our health and environment, as we mentioned, but it's not inevitable. There are many ways that we can prevent and reduce it, such as choosing safer and greener alternatives to hazardous products and materials. And we'll talk a lot about this on our show today with our experts. For example, we can use natural or biodegradable cleaning products, our rechargeable batteries, or even organic fertilizers. We can also impact it by reducing the amount and toxicity of the waste that we generate. For example, we can buy less, reuse more, and repair instead of replace or donate or sell what we don't need. Then we can recycle or recover the valuable resources from the waste that we produce. For example, we can separate and collect the recyclable materials such as paper, plastic, metal, or glass, and then send them to recycling facilities. Another thing we can do is support the research and innovation that can create new solutions for some of the current hazardous waste uh, materials and waste management and control that we are currently using. For example, we can support the scientists, engineers, and entrepreneurs who develop new technologies or methods or products. There's a lot we can do. So why should we care, though, about hazardous chemical and toxic waste? Well, it's not only a problem for the environment, but also for us and our health. It affects our health, our quality of life, and our future. So by caring about hazardous waste, we're caring about ourselves and our planet. And we're also caring about our children and our grandchildren, who indeed will inherit the consequences of our actions. And so therefore, we have to take some responsibility and action to prevent and reduce hazardous waste and protect our own health and the environment. It's not only the right thing to do, it's a smart thing to do, and it's a necessary thing to do. Now, this is a lot. But here today to help us explore and unpack this are some experts who I think are going to make us smarter. Today we have with us Dr. Elif Kangar. Elif is a professor of economics and business analytics at the University of New Haven. And her research areas encompass economically and environmentally sustainable waste recovery systems and operations. And she is also the director of the Sustainable Waste Management Research Group, which focuses on developing models and methods for optimizing the recovery and reuse of end-of-life products and materials. Welcome, Elif. And did I get all of that right? Thank you very much, Bernice. I'm very happy to be here. Yes, you got that right. Thank you for joining us. And our other guest is Deli Agusheta. And Deli holds the titles of Distinguished Professor and University of California Presidential Chair at the University of California at Irvine. 
There he led the establishment of the program in public health and served as the founding chair of the Department of Population Health and Disease Prevention. Deli is also co-director of the World Institute for Sustainable Development of Materials. It's called WISDOM. And he is co-chair of Apple Inc.'s Green Chemistry Advisory Board and served on the state of California's Advisory Committee on Community Protection and Hazardous Waste Reduction Initiative. Delhi also contributed to the successful achievement of the U.S.'s goals at the Third United Nations Environment Assembly. Welcome, Delhi, and did I get all of that right? You got it perfectly right. Thank you, Bernice, and I'm happy to be here with uh, Professor Conga. And thank you both for taking making time for, to join us today. I want to start with you, Delhi. You know, many people point to overconsumption as the cause of the waste generation and the waste management problems that are plaguing our economy. And we talked about that a lot last week in our first show this month on waste and waste management. But what do you see as the major drivers in the world and in the U.S. of waste generation and our waste management problems and issues, Delhi? Great question. Uh, overconsumption is both pull and a push. The pull is the demand that consumers have to use products that hopefully make their lives easier and beneficial, that improves the quality of life and health. The push is the manufacturing platform that we have now that has exceeded all expectations in terms of producing consumer products. And the capacity is such that they have to keep producing so that they make profit. And when people don't buy the products, they either change through innovation or through economic incentives, cut costs, all kinds of ways to keep people buying. So we're in this cycle where production has exceeded uh, the needs, and that generates waste. However, it doesn't have to be a vicious cycle. Recently, relatively recently, there is the idea of circular economy where we don't have to go back to raw materials to keep producing and manufacturing, but to recycle things that we no longer use or that are broken so that all of the raw materials are conserved and they don't generate hazardous waste for special treatment. So I think in the U.S., where we are in one of the most affluent countries in the world, we still are in this throwaway society where we consume products at a pace that we cannot keep up in terms of recycling. And we need to change that. But there's both a behavioral change that's needed in terms of public education around the hazards of throwing away used products and the education of manufacturers in coming up with a different business model so they don't feel like they have to push the products to consumers without the responsibility to take them back 
and recycle them properly. Indeed, indeed. We're going to go to break right now, but we will be right back on the other side uh, with Delia and Elif, who are really making us smarter already. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, The Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority, for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all HEB stores, natural grocers, all central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download online at nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more, and we're told the best Christmas trees in Texas. Our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care. Practicing dentistry for over 40 years with a holistic approach, non-mercury, looking at the whole body. Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today to our show on waste and waste management, focusing today on hazardous chemical and toxic waste, looking at the health and environmental impacts as well as potential opportunities. And we are back today with Dr. Elif Conger and Dr. Deli Agusheta, and they really are making us smarter. Now, before the break, Deli, you were talking to us uh, about the role of overconsumption and um, really making that really good point that it's push and pull. It's, it's part of our education and behavioral processes, but there's also stuff being pushed on us so that our industrialist society, or should I say capitalist society, and, and producers can continue to produce and make profits. So, you know, thank you for bringing that front and center. But I want to ask you one last thing on this, and then I want to, to go to Elif, and that is who or what nations, societal elements you think are the main perpetrators and can you give us some statistics on this? Well, you know, we know that the fossil fuel industry causes a lot of our air pollution. Who, what sector is really generating a lot of this hazardous waste? Yeah, my specialty, I've researched electronics for the better part of the last couple of decades. And the world of production, the supply chain is truly global. I think the U.S. has special characteristics that allow us to be very, very innovative in coming up with ideas, particularly the electronics industry, Silicon Valley, we all know the reputation for creativity and and innovation. But if you take your iPhone and think about where all the materials come from and where hazardous waste is generated, uh, you realize that from mining of metals, uh, for example, cobalt mining in the Democratic Republic of Congo, there's a lot of uh, concern and waste generation there. If you uh, think about the refining of the metals and the assembly of products uh, in China, there is a lot of waste 
generated there, all still linked to the electronics industry. And the United States is one of the largest per capita consumers of electronic products, uh, mobile phones, laptops, iPads, televisions. And so we've come back full circle from coming up with the ideas in Silicon Valley and consuming a large amount of electronic products. And it's such a cycle that a lot of us want the latest and the best. And so we don't actually complete the use of our products before we're ready for a new one. And this creates a lot of hazardous waste. Electronic products contain toxic metals, hazardous organic chemicals, and we end up sometimes having this waste or what we call e-waste being shipped to other countries because they need the used products and they cannot afford the latest and the best. So it's a truly global chain of, of events. And we have to figure out a way to stop this at each of those stages to avoid a global environmental disaster. We already have evidence that the hazardous waste knows no international boundaries. So we are all affected when we have these kinds of challenges. So you are basically saying you believe that e-waste is, is perhaps, are you saying one of the most dangerous or one of the most prolific, uh, perhaps, sources of toxic waste? Yeah. For the last decade or so, we've considered electronic waste as the fastest growing category of hazardous waste in the world. Plastics are extremely important. And we, we kind of know some of the chemicals in plastics. And it's the same cycle, right, in terms of we're coming up with the ideas where we're manufacturing them and where we're using them and disposing them. Unfortunately, plastics are lighter than electronics. And so we've seen plastic pollution of the oceans, for example. So I would it's not about ranking which one is worse or which country mm -hmm. is, is worse in terms of who's producing, who's making, and who's throwing away. Uh, the U.S. is a big, has a big role in all of those cycles. And we need to, you know, show by example that we can rein in um, our appetite for hazardous waste. Indeed. And we, we uh, actually do a full month of shows uh, in January on plastics. Uh, and I think the consumers are getting it and have a sense that plastic uh, causes pollution. But it, I, I don't think that there is the knowledge, education, and the awareness out there of the danger or the toxicity of e-waste. Um, maybe because we love these electronics so much, or as you mentioned earlier, it just may be a matter of, um, of education. How do you use reverse supply chain management and reverse logistics systems to reduce the amount of waste generated by industrial and consumer activities? Uh, and I think this goes to what Delhi was uh, mentioning earlier, the push-pull, maybe you know, some of this stuff that's being pushed on us. Can you talk to us about that way? And what are some of the benefits and challenges of implementing these some systems in different sectors and regions? Yes. Reverse logistics is a term for thinking through how best to recover used products and sending it back to the manufacturing platforms without creating waste. 
my colleagues and I uh, recently wrote a paper um, about reverse logistics applications around the electronics industry in Brazil, and this applies also to the circular economy. Um, the current status of international shipment of products is such that there is value in shipping brand new products from one country to another. There's less value in shipping used products across countries because they are just not as, as they can't sell for uh, the same level of profit as brand new products. So there is a gap there. But we now have to think about bringing the economists to help us understand the value in waste production and the recovery of materials and precious metals that could come in to help us correct that economic model so that we can get as much value out of waste and better even than throwing it out and creating toxic pollution that affects people and the environment. Let me ask you this, Deli, um, because what you just mentioned to me, it, it, it brings up in my mind the, the situation with um, disposal of, of uh, automotive tires. Wherever we go, when, whenever yeah. you go to get new tires, you're charged a fee for disposal of it. And I think you're also charged most places for a, uh, there's a fee for disposal of oil when you go, go get your oil changed. And I suppose that the businesses are passing on these fees. Is that the situation? Or are these fees indeed put in place through other policies to perhaps make us rethink how we're recycling or disposing of our waste? Yeah, this is a very important question because I think in, uh, in the field that I work in, we've thought about incentives for consumers to bring their old tires or batteries or electronics to a proper recycling facility. And you could either give people a rebate or you can actually charge them ahead of time when they buy the product to collect fees for recycling. And I think we do that with, with some electronics. And, and economics can tell us which one works better. But I, I have a, a, an example of where those fees don't actually, they, they may not do much. So for a very long time, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency will cite uh, automobile batteries, which are lead-acid batteries, as the best example of recycling that we have. And these batteries, when they are collected, they could go into facilities like Exide in Los Angeles, which is no longer functional because they were operating the recycling facilities in ways that did not protect the communities around the factory. And so we have a massive pollution uh, in, in LA. I would have hoped that the money we collected for people to recycle their batteries went into building these kinds of safe facilities uh, for recycling. So Indeed. we still, we have the idea, we just don't have the execution. Yeah, we uh, don't have properly. proper execution. Thank you, Deli. We're going to need to go to break, but we will come back on the other side and talk a lot more about this. You are indeed making us smarter. Thank you. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio today to today's show on waste and waste management, focusing in on hazardous chemical and toxic waste, the health and environmental impacts and opportunities. And we are back with Dr. Elif Conger with the University of New Haven and Dr. Deli Agusheda with the University of California at Irvine. And again, thank you all for for making time to join us. Uh, we're going to go to um, Elif. How do you go about measuring and evaluating the environmental and social impacts of waste management practices and interventions? And what are some of the indicators or frameworks or models that you use or that you suggest? Um, there are not too many. Uh, one very well-known framework is life cycle analysis uh, that evaluates from the mining raw material phase until the end of life of a product and back into the manufacturing system in their raw material shape component or some assembly shape. Um, things, as Dr. Abusheta also mentioned, are getting better. Um, there are several organizations and academics working on circular economy principles, um, looking at manufacturing or service systems from the circular economy perspective, um, which is uh, creating a lot of additional frameworks and bringing a lot of systems thinking into the um, environmental arena. Uh, one very powerful one is created by Environmental Protection Agency. It is called ADEP. It helps us with prediction of future waste generation demand and looks at some disposal alternatives. Um, there are also others, me and my colleagues worked on disassembly to order system to ensure the enough number of products uh, accumulate so that the economic justification of reuse, recycle, remanufacturing are gonna be ensured. Um, otherwise, if you do not accumulate enough numbers um, to justify these a complex system, the profitability is not going to be there. And obviously, uh, pretty much all the endeavors are going to fail. Ellis, can you give us some examples of uh, some of these measurements for products or that people may be able to, to identify or know about? Uh, sure. Uh, recycling rate is probably one of the most prominent measure, how much material you are able to recover. Um, it is bifold. One is based on the valuable, precious content of the product, uh, which takes a look at to gold, platinum, silver recovery, uh, which are included in these products. Uh, the other recovery measure for recycling is how much of the hazardous waste you were able to take out so that they are not going to end up uh, in the landfill, air, uh, or in our waters. So you can take a look at it from the economic perspective, or you can take a look at it from the minimization of environmental damage perspective. Um, these two are there. And of course, there's the social aspect of it, uh, because majority of the electronics end up in landfill, and they are mostly collected by informal parties. Uh, without proper training, without proper technology and system. You say in, they're collected by informal parties. What do you, what do you mean by that? 
um, by the public uh, who need economic empowerment, uh, who are collecting these and selling them as scrap um, to manufacture and other collection facilities uh, because they don't have the proper training, protective equipment, so on and so forth. Um, this can become a very dangerous proposition on health or usually, unfortunately, vulnerable populations and uh, younger generations. Right. Now, I know there in our community, I see people who are in the business of scrap collecting. They kind of drive up and down the streets through neighborhoods and you can see all the stuff on their trucks and things like that. And and then uh, I know that that's uh, one of the things, too, that you, you find many of the homeless do because they're just trying to get uh, funds to exist. And they collect a lot of this and then take it to the, the scrap. So is that kind of a sense of what you mean? That's, that's certainly a part of it. Um, in other regions, because when we send our end-of-life products overseas, they end up in landfills or just open in open environments where informal parties sort of become in charge of those, um, meaning they are not, they are just local citizens who are partnering with larger organizations to make profit. Uh, what you're describing is more at an individual level and is caused by lack of centralized collection facilities or uh, lack of information about these facilities so that the public do not go and give back the end-of-life products to those. Regardless of the problem, regardless of the location, um, end-of-life products need to be collected centrally so that a certain number is going to accumulate, making it profitable and more efficient to recycle, reuse, remanufacture them. And obviously, with the proper training, technology, and protection, uh, this is going to be a less health hazard and a more environmental endeavor. Because when you think about it, uh, if you're selling the end-of-life products to another party, thinking is they are after the precious metal content, even though um, such as batteries, such as gases, especially in uh, refrigerators, uh, need to be taken out before incineration or before reuse and recycling operations so that the environmental damage is going to be minimal. Now, let me, we, we're talking about the damages and health, and let's. I want to really focus in on that and want to go back to Delhi for a moment. Talk to us about what are the health hazards of waste, e-waste and other forms. What, what are the, because I think that's the point of Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio, is to show folks what are the health impacts that they are being exposed to just in their day-to-day comings and goings uh, by this waste. You're absolutely uh, right. I think when we frame things in terms of health impacts, we're more likely to provoke behavior change among consumers, but also uh, working with manufacturers to remove those toxic chemicals that may cause health problems. Most of the work in consumer products and the waste that's generated and the health outcomes have cancer as an endpoint. So when Professor uh, Conga talked about life cycle analysis, 
we usually think about from the mining to the manufacturing, the production and the disposal of waste. And along those supply chain, where are the health impacts for workers, for users, and for uh, people who live around disposal facilities? In many life cycle analysis tools, cancer is an endpoint. But we also have a lot of uh, really dangerous non-cancer health impacts. So exposure to lead is very well known to cause neurological deficits, attention deficit disorder in children, uh, hypertension, and a, a wide range of other secondary health effects. Anemia, for example, is the first thing you notice when children are exposed to high levels of lead. Uh, mercury, we know, so mercury is present in a lot of fluorescent uh, tubes in the old electronic products, the screens or fluorescent lighting, uh, some batteries. Uh, and we know a lot about mercury's health effects uh, from the womb uh, to the elderly. So if people are exposed to mercury in the womb as fistosis, um, we know that there will be developmental disabilities uh, from methylmercury type exposures. And we used to call this Minamata disease, named after the people of Minamata that first showed damaged uh, children that were born to to mothers who are exposed to mercury. And mercury is the, I think until now, the only element or toxic metal that we have a United Nations convention named for it called the Menamata Convention on Mercury. And we also used to call mercury outcomes in terms of disease, the Mad Hatter's disease. Mad Hatter's of, disease, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. And and so there are so many different endpoints. The biggest challenge now are what we call endocrine disruptors and toxic chemicals that affect reproduction, because those are more difficult to assess. Uh, but we know that they're there. So a lot of the organic chemicals, brominated flame retardants, uh, PFOA type chemicals, those may have cross-generational impacts. Indeed. Uh, and, and Delhi, I hate to interrupt you, but we need to go to break. But we'll be right back on the other side with Dr. Elif Conger and Dr. Delhi Agasheta. Thank you. They're making us smarter. We want to give a shout out now to our sponsors. That is Natural Awakenings, Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex Magazine, The Green, Healthy, and Sustainable Living Authority for the DFW Metroplex and North Texas Communities. Print issues of Natural Awakenings can be found in all HEB stores, natural grocers, all central markets, sunflower shops, and many, many other locations, as well as available free for download on nadallas.com. Check them out. Our other sponsor is North Haven Gardens, serving the Metroplex since 1951, the most respected horticultural establishment in North Texas, offering gardening and plant education, concierge services, DIY classes, gifts, and more, and we're told the best Christmas trees in Texas. Our other sponsor is Lynn Dental Care, practicing dentistry for over 40 years, non-mercury with a holistic approach looking at the whole body. 
Specializing in periodontics, Dr. Lynn is board certified by the International Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. Check them out at lindentalcare.com. Thank you, sponsors. Welcome back to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. To today's show on hazardous chemical and toxic waste, health and environmental impacts, and perhaps some opportunities. And we are back with Dr. Elif Conger with the University of North Haven and Dr. Deli Agusheta at University of California at Irvine, and they are making us smarter. Now, before the break, Della, you were talking a lot about mercury, and then I was reminded of one of our sponsors, uh, a holistic dentist, and that's one of the things he always says, non-mercury. But I remember um, seeing a picture of a, a, that one of the holistic dentists that I know sent me. They were working on a patient, and they were taking mercury from their teeth, and this particular uh, dentist, was she looked like she was in a hazmat suit. She had something on her on her face and like this suit. And, and it's like she was really taking those uh, precautions when she was removing that that mercury. And, and so I think um, the public has really gotten the point, though, that lead is bad and so is mercury. How do we get to that point, though, with a, a lot of the elements in our electronics, like in the cell phones and the computers? Elif, I want to start with you on that. You know, what are what are some of the challenges and opportunities that we can do in terms of managing some of this, these consumer electronics and, and in terms of policy and, and protecting our health and environment? There are a lot of uh, opportunities, given that we are at the right place at the right time. I think environmental awareness is growing, um, as evidence by uh, Dr. Ogunshera mentioning circular economy, triple bottom line thinking. I think people are more health conscious, uh, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic. We all understood that our survival has to be a community one, and individual survival alone um, does not mean much when uh, you are left all alone uh, with no business or neighbors surrounding you. I think people are now more aware of the tie between environmental health and individual health. Because of the rules and regulations following the same thinking, a majority of the national, international corporations are now declaring their carbon emissions, uh, creating a more green product design uh, coming up with designs for this assembly. Um, however, it's a very complex system. Um, it's very extensive. We do not have enough data, accurate data, or reporting on electronic waste. And if it is not governed by the original equipment manufacturer, it becomes a little bit more tedious because um, products end up in individual consumers houses, and many of them are waiting in stock uh, electronic waste because of the perceived value of these products or because of the safety, security, privacy issues. Many of them do not even end up at a recycling facility. In some 
states uh, we are a little bit more strict when it comes to disposal of electronic waste. Uh, some states obviously are more aware uh, when it comes to educating their uh, citizens. In some others, um, especially when you take a look at the problem from a global perspective, um, parallel with the economic development, the public awareness is not there. Uh, the infrastructure is not established. Economic power is not there um, to create such systems, making this a profitable business. So we have a lot of opportunities. One great strength comes from the public awareness, consumer pressure, um, delaying the utilization, delaying the um, end of life of any product. Uh, would have the benefit. Uh, as far as we know, environment is um, capable of repairing itself. Given enough time, it is able to recover. We just need to slow down the uh, accumulation of waste by coming up with clever ways, multifunctional products, more environmentally friendly material content by uh, relying on more software than the hardware. And I think the technological shift is occurring here. Uh, hardware used to be more extensive. Uh, now they are talking about computational uh, ability, so on and so forth. So the burden is more on the application than the actual hardware, which is great news. I wanted to ask you, Ella, though, as we were on our last segment, a little push for time here, too, though. We've talked about, you know, obviously electronics, we've talked about mercury, we've talked about lead. Are there any emerging toxic or toxins or toxic chemicals or things out there that are on the horizon that we will hear more about in the future or that we need to be hearing more about now? There are great developments when it comes to replacing hazardous material content. Um, we have green design uh, we have lots of certifications when it comes to picking the right uh, non-hazardous or less toxic materials when it comes to manufacturing. On top of my head, I cannot think of any new material replacing the highly toxic ones, but I can tell you that many of the electronics manufacturers are now trying to uh, come up with smarter and greener designs in their material selection. Indeed. Thank you for that. I want to move to Delhi, though, as our time moves away from us. Delhi, I want to talk about, if you could kind of help us understand, too, the connection or the intersection of waste, waste management, and climate change. Yes, they are tightly linked. Um, I remember when the U.S. EPA proposed to consider carbon dioxide, methane, and all the greenhouse gases as as hazardous waste because of what they're doing to, to the climate. That's always subject to, to debate. But there are uh, connections between our throwaway society and the hazardous chemicals that are included in, in those products and, and climate change. Uh, we did an article recently on how much carbon emissions, what they call embodied carbon, in every electronic product, phones, laptops. So if you extend the useful life of your phone by one year, 
meaning that you're not buying a new phone with all the emissions associated with making that new phone, you would be saving uh, those emissions from entering the atmosphere. So we can do this for every every consumer product where if we are not using it to the full extent of its useful life, we are really contributing to the emissions that affect uh, that are driving climate change uh, to extents that we cannot reverse uh, the change. I think what's happening in in Dubai recently with COP28 is is showing two sides that we can continue to burn fuels and use products and produce hazardous waste, or we can think about closing the uh, circular economy and uh, reducing uh, hazardous waste with a healthier population and a healthier planet. I'm sure you or both of you all were probably just as excited as I was to hear that that is a big thing coming out of COP28, and that is to connect it to health. Because, of course, that's what Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio is all about. But again, others are realizing if you, you you can get people's attention. (laughs) <laughs> and that is a leverage point with people when you put it in terms of their health. So I, that that Absolutely. was that was the best thing to come out for me. And I hope it sticks. Thank you for that. Uh, we just have a, a, a few minutes to go. Then I want to go back to you, Elif, and then we'll get back to um, Delhi. Briefly, Elif, can you talk to us about the benefits and drawbacks of the different collection centers and, and product return alternatives? for some of the uh, electronics as well as other items that can cause a lot of uh, toxins into our environment and expose our health to them? Well, thank you, Bernice. There are primarily two. One is uh, collection centers, um, mostly governed by municipalities, local governments. The other is run by original uh, manufacturers, meaning through take-back policies, leasing options, uh, rebates, so on and so forth. One advantage of the original equipment manufacturer taking back the product is they already had a manufacturing assembly line. Uh, the problem becomes how to streamline the reverse logistics, supply chain operations with the existing system. Uh, the main advantage is uh, the uncertainty is less because they know what they have sold and they have a pretty good idea when those electronic products are going to be coming back to the original manufacturer. And, and I hate to interrupt you, but we just got one minute to go. But I do appreciate you and hear what you're saying is that a lot of that is, is back to the manufacturers because so much is lost in the control of the various collection centers. Last word, just a few seconds, uh, uh, Deli. What can ordinary people do in their everyday lives to help drive solutions? Just give us what you think is perhaps one of the most important things that they can do in the few seconds that we have left. Every one of us has the power to make change because we buy products. We should struggle and try hard to read the fine print. What is the company doing, the manufacturer doing to reduce waste, to take responsibility for their products throughout the life cycle, and to use less toxic chemicals that protect human health and the quality of the environment. We pay attention to what we buy. We make choices that are better for health. 
Indeed. And we can make a difference. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. Appreciate both of you all. We have been with Dr. Elif Congar at the University of New Haven and Dr. Deli Agacheta at the University of California in Irvine. And they really have made us smarter. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for listening in today to Healthy Living, Healthy Planet Radio. The conversation starts here, but our goal is for it to continue in your home, in your social circles, your workplaces, at the water cooler, and in the grocery checkout line, so that we can all work together to realize that healthy living is simply not possible without a healthy planet. Our culture is a result of a trillion tiny acts, taken by billions of people every day like yourselves. And each of those tiny acts can seem insignificant, but all of them add up one way or the other to the change that we each live through. This is your host, Bernice Butler. Thank you for listening in today and join us again next week for more Healthy Living, Healthy Planet radio on our theme of waste and waste management. Thank you.